This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Roar, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Let's get fire! All right, good morning. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. It is Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. SeattleSports.com, Seattle Sports app, and all the podcast platforms out there. Good to be with you today. Wasn't really a great sports weekend between Brooks Kepka win in the PGA Championship and the Mariners playing about as uninspired a version of baseball as you could possibly ask them to play in Atlanta over the course of three games. It just kind of, I don't know, Yesterday felt yesterday's Mariner game felt very much the standard bearer for this team. Like, that's kind of who they are and who they've been this year. Right? Pitcher was good, but not quite good enough. Right? Gives up just like one run in a spot where you're like, okay, well, you know, a normal team should be able to overcome it. Seven innings, three runs, more than just a quality start. It's a very good start. And your offense is anemic and just doesn't really do it. And then you come back a little bit later just to kind of make it close. But then in the biggest moment of the game, you just kind of fritter away. That's kind of how it's felt for this team throughout the year. And I I watched yesterday's game. It was a really busy weekend for me. Thankfully, I will tell you, I did not spend every minute in front of the television watching the Mariners. I'm kind of glad about that. I I think I would have been more disappointed if I had. And so, you know, maybe that's helping kind of keep me afloat today. I was out with the kids a ton. I had uh, Avery's first golf tournament on Saturday, which was awesome. Oh, yeah. Dude, phenomenally entertaining. Awesome. One of the best parenting experiences I've had. So this has now been what? From less than a year of her picking up a club to playing a No, tournament? no, no. She's been swinging a club with me for a few years now. Okay, okay. Yeah. But in the last maybe year or so, she started to like take some lessons and get a little bit more serious. Yeah, maybe about that's it. what it is. And lessons yeah. and less than a year. So in uh, so then this year or Saturday, the uh this is all through first tee. They have, which is like the PGA's thing they've done to try to like grow the game of golf. And it's great. Awesome. Awesome work. And so uh, Avery goes and I go with her. Was it uh, Jefferson uh, mm-hmm. on uh, on Saturday? Dude, it was so much fun. So they get there and they really make the kids feel like super special, right? Like they had, you know, oh, for participants, we've got, you know, granola bars and and water and stuff like that they could take, plus teas and extra balls and all that. So she kind of gets herself all outfitted and we kind of get a lay of the land and what the rules are. It's nine hole, nine par three holes. So they've set, you know, they have a par three course. They've kind of set it up with all the different levels and it's just nine holes Walk, they walk it, right, and, and you can walk with them. You can't caddy for them at her age, so she has to carry her own clubs and all of that. And uh, the guy's great. We get to the you know the first tee. It's Avery and these two other girls her age, and he's like, oh, do you want to be an introduced like they do at the, at the you know, at the pro level? And Avery's immediately like, yes. And one other girl's <laughs> like, absolutely. And this other girl's like, uh, no, do not do that. He's like, okay. So she goes first, and then, you know, guy comes out. He's like, now on the tee. Avery Salk and Avery like comes up, takes out her hybrid and absolutely freaking pipes one down the middle. It was awesome. And she played really, really well. It was so much fun. She shot a 49 in nine uh, par three holes. So uh, what's that? Over 27, par 27. She shot a 49 and uh, was better than the other two girls in her group, which was awesome. So it was super. And we just had a blast. She had so much fun. So here's the last thing that I thought you might find interesting. Now, I did not teach this. 
I am a I am not a like, you know, I don't report my scores to the USGA. I'm not a golf stickler. Anyway, we're playing and uh one of the girls we're with, she can't play golf. I mean, she's just it's our first time out there basically. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Mm-hmm. She was super great spirits and, you know, after a couple swings and misses, you know, it's supposed to be tournament golf, right? Like swing and a miss is a shot. So I talking to her dad, I'm like, "Hey, we're supposed to also keep her score." Like, how do you want me? How do you want to handle these swings and misses? Like, I don't want to embarrass his kid. Like, on one hand, I get that it's formal, but I don't want to embarrass his kid. And he's like, uh, I'm fine with, you know, not counting them if you are. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's fine. Don't worry about it. So we're, you know, very, very nice and, and very generous with this girl as they go. Anyway, Avery doesn't need any of that. She's doing great the whole time. She gets to the last hole and she puts it on in two, which was awesome. And then she's got a putt to within, I don't know, six, eight inches which is great. And so now she's just got a little tap in for a four and she did it casually. Didn't like line it up, you know, didn't look at it and get set. She just kind of tapped it and she missed. Oh, and guys like, ah, oh, you can put that back. Just take that again more seriously. And she does. And she comes off and the guy writes down a four and stuff. And she comes over to me. She's like, dad, I don't feel comfortable writing down a four. Ooh. I'd really like that to be a five. Wow. Are you sure? I mean, like, based on everything else we've seen, it's just fine. And she's like, nope, I'd feel more comfortable if it was a five. I didn't earn that. That's absolutely on her own. That's good. On her own. And I I think that's a lot of what First Tee has been working on teaching these kids. So, you know, what an unbelievable organization to have taught that. And and thanks for kind of helping me out as a dad. And in this case, honestly, going even above and beyond what I was willing to do. So really, really cool moment and super proud of Avery. So I did want to kind of tell that story. She uh, she deserves it. My kids had a really good weekend. Avery doing that. And Cecily was in a play, which was great. She did a great job in in uh, in Matilda this weekend. But anyway, so you missed a lot of baseball. Because yeah, of which all was these just things, awesome, because quite frankly, this Mariner team is just flat. Yeah. And, and look, I know it's easy to say that. Like, I, I've been around this game enough to tell you that every team that doesn't hit looks flat. When you don't hit, you look flat. When you don't hit, you look like you're not trying. When you don't hit, you look uninspired. So the Mariners aren't hitting. And because of that, they look all of those things. But man, do they look all of those things. Yeah. Man, yeah. do they look flat. Man, do they look uninspired. Man, do they look sloppy. Do they look unfocused. Do they look kind of lazy. They they look all of those things. I'm not saying they are because I know they're not. I know they're not lazy. I know this is a group that works their butt off. I know they can be fun loving. I know they can do all of those things. But Justin, you sent me some of these stats. They're one in six in series against teams with a winning record. That's not going to get fun. it done. It's not going to work. They have three hitters, and I know this one will be right up Brock's alley when he gets here at seven. They got three hitters in the top ten of all of baseball in strikeouts. Three. That, that, that can't fly. That's part of the other thing of looking really flat when you have strike out that many times. You're not even, like, running down to first base. Yeah, it's not. That's who? Tay Oscar, Suarez, and Julio. Julio. I'd be curious to know what Cal Raleigh's strikeout numbers are if he were to play enough uh, innings to get there. I can tell you where he's at right now. I mean, they'd be, they'd, I bet you they'd be pretty much on par in terms of rate because he's, he's striking out at a prodigious pace as well. One in six in series against teams with a winning record. 
I don't even know what to say about that. And all of these numbers, all of these sort of lousy, awful offensive numbers come juxtaposed against one of the best pitching staffs, if not the best pitching staff in baseball. I know they had a little struggle on Friday and it kind of got away from him. Maybe Scott went with Bryce Miller, maybe one or two batters too long. But, geez, this pitching staff is going above and beyond. None of those guys gave up more than three runs. And this offense is win those games. just anemic. You're yeah. right. So I, 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 I don't know what's going to change it. Again, I know there's a group of people, and, yes, I am concerned, very concerned at the moment for where this team's headed. Four games against Oakland should help. But then you got Pittsburgh who's playing, at the very least, inspired baseball. And then the Yankees coming in after that who are not really. And they're beat up and they got injury issues. But, you know, they're talented. I was looking yesterday. They've still won like eight of their last 12. They're talented. <laughs> so, 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 so what are you going to do? You're going to have to get yourself going. I am concerned. And I know there's a group of people shouting at the radio right now or your podcast later. Go, oh, now you're concerned, Mike. Where were you before? All right, well, look, if you believed that the reason the Mariners would be in this position was because Julio, Teoscar, Cal, and Suarez were not going to be good, then congratulations, you got it before me. I, I'll i tip my cap to you. If you're sitting here telling me that this is because, you know, the bottom of the order. No, it's not. J.P. Crawford's been arguably their best hitter this year. Since Caballeros got in there, Honestly, the nine spot in the end of the order, it's been okay. It's not great, and Pollock's not been wonderful. Like, I get it. It's not been perfect. But the heart of this order, the best players on this team are the ones not hitting. I know I've been beating this drum for a couple of weeks now, but I don't know what else to tell you. Guys, if Julio Rodriguez continues to hit at this rate, the Mariners are going to be not good. They can't survive that. Most teams can't, but they really can't. They were built with Julio Rodriguez in mind, and he's not acting or playing, rather, like Julio Rodriguez. I, I don't know what to do about that. I'm going to give you some of the numbers later. As bad as he's been in close and late situations, those numbers get even worse. Can't survive like that. That's not who he's been. That's not what you bet on. That's not what you what you predicted this season would be like. Yeah. So I don't know what you do next. I don't know what the next plan is. You return home here for a huge homestand, 10 games in 10 days against Oakland, against Pittsburgh, and against the Yankees. And if you don't make some hay, you're very much in danger of falling 10 games out. You get to 10, you got yourself a big old problem. As bad as things were last year, they never got to 10. Don't get to 10. Don't get to 10. Right now it's seven in the division. It's only like four or five in the wild card. Okay. But there's a bunch of teams in it, man, and that AL East looks real good, and they're not going to beat up on each other like they have in the past. So you better make hay. You better beat Oakland. You better find a way to go 7-3 and three on this homestand because, unfortunately, you've completely wasted some of the margin for error that you could have had over the first couple of weeks of this season. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Yeah, just kind of more of the same this weekend for the Mariners, unfortunately. Lose one, win one, lose another. They just can't seem to get themselves into a groove. And every time it looks like maybe they've got an opportunity to do it, they just fall back down the other side. I understand that's unlikely to happen against a very good opponent like the Braves. That is a good baseball team, one of the best in the game. But you know what? You're supposed to be in that category, too. And right now, you simply are not playing that way at all. The issue, as usual, 
is the hitting. When they hit, they win, generally, and they did hit on Saturday. Then they forgot how yesterday against another lefty with a sky-high ERA, this time Jared Schuster, who just completely baffled everybody other than Jared Kelnick, who continues to just destroy every lefty he sees. Schuster, the windup, and the 0-1 pitch swing, and a fly ball into right field and deep. Acuna going back to the warning track, looking up, and goodbye baseball. Man, that ball had some carry. A little bit of a breeze blown out to right field. And Jared Kelnick with his ninth home run of the season has just tied the game in one-to-one here at Truist Park. Claps his hand, touches home. We've got a tie game. He's just really been remarkable. Unfortunately, that was about it. George Kirby allowed a couple of runs. The offense sputtered and then on base. They lose 3-2 to two yet again. It was nice to see Jose Caballero respond to a little extra playing time. Went hitless for a couple of nights and then yesterday went one for one, but with a home run, a walk, a hit by pitch, and yes, three stolen bases. Of course he did. Scott Service really happy with what he's getting out of his new second baseman. Uh, I think it's, it stood out for me. is From the day he showed up here, he was not in awe of anything. And I think... You know, he even made comments. All the little things that I do get noticed here uh, at the big league level. You know, stealing bases, turning a double play, you know, just getting on base, um, doing the little things. And oftentimes get overlooked um, as you're trying to climb your way through the minor league ladder um, and maybe don't put up gaudy numbers. You don't hit a ton of home runs, but you're a good baseball player. And that's what's really stood out for me. He understands how to play, and he doesn't back off. He puts it in play on the biggest stage daily is what we're seeing right now. Yeah, he played all three games over the weekend, which I think is a pretty good sign that he is now your second baseman. I would expect him to be in the lineup tonight as they take on Oakland. Yes, they start a 10-game homestand. Oakland for four, then Pittsburgh and New York. The Yankees, Luis Castillo gets it started tonight. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, Seahawks, day one of full team OTAs today. That's organized team activities. Uh, this will be the rookie's first chance to see what life is like with veterans on the field as well, which is Brock will tell you, kicks things up a notch or two. And I'm guessing there's a few vets. We're going to want to make an impression after hearing about which rookie is going to take their job. How about Mike Jackson? You want to say how he responds? I would like to. D. Eskridge, does he have anything? given that, you know, everyone is just stuck Jackson Smith and Jigba right there in a job that, you know, after a few years in the league, you would sure like to have him believe is his. Daryl Taylor, Boye Mafe, they're going to have to watch Derek Hall and others, four guys who should feel challenged by their first three picks, and throw DJ Dallas's name on that list as well. There's five veterans who I think should have a little something to play for as soon as they arrive. Anyway, they'll get underway today, and we will talk to Lewis Riddick about it coming up at 8.30 this morning. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, it nearly happened at Augusta, and now it is a reality. A live tour player has won a major championship, and it shouldn't be much of a surprise. This was the guy to do it. He's all the way back. Kepka conquers the PGA at Oak Hill. Unbelievable. He finished nine under, two shots better than Scotty Scheffler and Victor Hovland. He wins his fifth major, his third PGA championship. The dude is just a machine. Congratulations to him. On the other side was Michael Block. If you weren't paying attention, this story is incredible. Dude's a teaching pro in Mission Viejo, California. He just finished tied for 15th at a major. Unbelievable. It means he gets an automatic invite back next year. He also finished ahead of at least 10 major winners. Ten different major winners who made the cut finished behind Michael Block. How incredible is that? 
He also finished, uh, you know, ahead of some of the best in the world right now. He'll make about 288000 for his effort. And, uh, yeah, it's also how he did it. Dude had an ace on 15 and then an incredible up and down on 18 with a great putt that he dripped in to, to get to 15th, which was like the number he needed to. And afterwards, unsurprisingly, very emotional. <laughs> uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh I'm living a dream. I'm making sure that I enjoy this moment. I've learned that after the my 46 years of life that uh, it's not going to get better than this. There's no way. No chance in hell. So uh, I'm going to enjoy this, and thank you. It's pretty great. And uh, he's actually gets a sponsor's exemption now for this week. He's going to play in the PGA event this week awesome. as well. That was the best story to follow. I'm also though. told that uh, the Live Tour offered him $450 million if he wanted he to make it. the jump. So we'll, <laughs> see, we'll see what happens next. Right now he's charging 150 bucks an hour <laughs> to do lessons at uh, his club in Mission Viejo. But uh, Live offered him 450 mil. So we'll see what happens. You know what I mean? They're just trying to generate a little just buzz. Just a billion. Just trying to generate a little buzz out there. You know, they got Brooks and Bryce and the rest of those they guys. They want the best players in the world. I get it. They do. <laughs> and so uh, Michael Block may be, uh, may be on the move. Breaking story here at Brock and Salk this morning. I don't know. All right. Uh, it was entertaining. It's just, I, it's funny. I, I didn't end up, I had a, 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 pool, a, a pool that I, I never forgot to like actually enter. But Brooks was going to be my guy uh, this really? week. Yeah, he was. I probably should have done I it. you weren't a Brooks guy. I don't like Brooks, but, but that doesn't mean I didn't think he wasn't going to win. I just felt like coming off of the Masters and the little choke he had, especially, you know, with the with the slow pace of play on Sunday, and I do think that affected him. He's just a machine in these things, and especially in a PGA Championship in New York. Yeah, he's a big game hunter of golf. He is, and yeah. specifically that tournament and then throw it into that state. It's just like his perfect situation. That's what I've always said. That's what Morris Long said. Brooks I mean, his fifth big major. Moments. I mean, like, all of a sudden he jumps past essentially I, everybody in his generation. I thought Scheffler was going to come back. I thought he was doing it halfway through the day. No, just just not enough. And on a day where John Rahm wasn't around to save the PGA Tour, Victor Hovland doesn't have the short game to do it. Scotty Scheffler didn't quite have his A game. It's a really challenging course. And the next thing you know, Kepka just delivers yet another cl- clutch performance, which is just sort of what he does felt in these big moments. Seeing a live guy hold up a PGA Championship yeah. trophy. Now, P- it's a different PGA, right? It's not totally it's it. not the PGA Tour. It's the pro golfers you know, of America. It was just but, still odd. Yeah. It, it it definitely was right there with you. All right. Uh, Moore is going to take us through a very busy weekend. I don't know whether Avery's golf tournament is going to be part of around the weekend or not. <laughs> I would certainly hope it will be, but uh, Moore is going to be very busy. She'll do it next. Don't go anywhere. It's Brock and Salk. Seattle Sports on 710. SeattleSports.com. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. It is awesome, man, when the weather is nice around this city as it was Friday and Saturday. It is just so great how Seattle just sort of brings it. You know what I mean? Everyone's just sort of out and about and happy and everything else. It was uh, pretty awesome. Uh, I got a text here saying, how can a live golfer win the PGA Championship? Isn't it the championship for the PGA Tour? It is not, actually. It is not related. It's a weird thing. The PGA Tour is one thing. The PGA of America is another. And they run the PGA Championship and they run all the teaching professionals, pro golfer, guys who are golf pros 
throughout the country. And then the PGA Tour is about professional golfers. So it, it's sort of an oddity that both of them share the same three letters and, and the same name, but they are two different organizations. So mm-hmm. uh, there you go. None of, none of the majors are put on by the PGA Tour. Right. You got the USGA puts on the US Open and then, you know, the Masters is put on in Augusta. This is put on by the PGA of America. So it's they're different. They are different organizations, as, as weird as that sounds. So that's how a live golfer can end up winning the PGA championship. That was one of the many things that happened this weekend. Maura is going to take us through the whole deal. Maura, what do we miss? All right. We will. Well, do you have any? Did you do like a nice post-match interview or something with Avery? Avery? Like, yeah, we have anything to that? help me here? God, that was stupid. We have no <laughs> audio of Avery's thing round. No. Wow. I just ha- I do have audio of the guy saying, you know, introducing her. I can play it through my microphone like Brock likes to do. <laughs> yeah, like that. Brock yeah. no, congrats to her. That's awesome. Uh, I definitely don't think I was playing anything at a high level at that age. Well, I didn't say it was at a high level. I just said, said she, she played. Yeah. She did a great job. I wouldn't call it like, you know, she's not going on tour. <laughs> well, not yet. Not, not that, yet. Not with that attitude. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> she will care a little more. All right. Uh, we'll start with the Mariners. I mean, sometimes we try to avoid the losses, but there were, there were some good things. Well, we have 20 minutes. Too, You're not going to so... be able to avoid yeah. all the losses more. I don't know what to tell and you. There were some good, good things mixed into the losses. So um, Friday, Bryce Miller got off to a rough start, giving up back-to-back doubles to Ronald Acuna Jr. and Matt Olson. With Acuna Jr. scoring to make it one nothing Atlanta in the first. But as Scott Service has mentioned numerous times, the rookie never gets rattled. He spoke post-game about his process after that first inning. Or I should maybe turn my computer on, guys. Sorry about that. Yeah, it was uh, definitely a tough first inning. Um, but, you know, I was able to get out of it with only one run. And they definitely had a couple barrels in a row. And went back, looked at the video, and I was missing, you know, middle of the plate. And... They were on it, so you know, just made an adjustment, got off the off the heart of the plate, and moved to the corners, and things started to work out. The fact that he can already just watch a little bit of himself and see what needs to be adjusted and do it is so impressive to me. Yeah, I watched some of that game. Yeah, yes, fourth start. Yeah, A's, Astros, Tigers, and then uh, Atlanta was number four. So he's given up a total of what is it now? Four runs. Sounds right. In those four stars. I mean, just really unbelievable. But um, he's legit. Like, I don't don't know how else to say this. Like, dude's just legit. He's a dude. Right? I mean, he's out there whipping the ball, 95-plus, decent enough breaking stuff, and there's something about that fastball. There will be an adjustment period. Guys will figure him out a little bit, and he's going to have to figure out how to adjust after that. That's the game. But he does seem to have enough with the secondary stuff to be able to to make it work. It's interesting because you're living in a world right now in baseball where breaking pitches are king, right? Everybody's, I mean, the velocity's there, but everybody can hit the velocity. And then it's the, you know, 22-inch break on your slider and everything else that we're seeing, the sweepers, that's really sort of setting guys apart right now. And what's funny watching the Mariners is they've got three guys dominating for the most part with their fastball. I think it's one of their unique qualities, and, and it's the polar opposite in their bullpen where you've got sliders and all the rest. But when you watch the Mariners, what are they dominating with? George Kirby? Just command of his fastball. And we'll talk about him in a minute or two. Logan Gilbert, they, by the way, they have good breaking pitches, but Logan, funky movement on his fastball, right? 
And then watch Bryce Miller. It is his fastball that is his pitch, and it's got a unique view for the hitter for whatever reason. It looks like it rises, and it's got crazy spin rate to it, and he's dominating guys essentially with one pitch. Again, I really see a lot of Brett Saberhagen uh, when you watch him pitch. With, with both of those guys. I'm sorry. Did I was pass- saying that with Kirby, okay. I guess. I was going to say, did Passon say Spencer Strider? No, I was saying that with Kirby. You're okay. right. I, I, uh, no, he's, he's not a saber. I got to come up with a better comp on uh, on on Bryce Miller. Let me I think, think on I that think one. I think Brock kept saying Mark Lowe to us. Yeah, well, that's air. not a good one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but but Passon did say that. Spencer Strider. And he said a okay. little bit not that it wasn't exactly. I haven't watched enough Spencer Strider to know. I know he's really good, and I know I've seen him pitch, but... I don't know that I've seen enough of Spencer Strider to kind of make a comp. Let me think a little more on Bryce Miller. Okay. Um, well, he settled in after that and went five scoreless innings. Meanwhile, the Mariners offense created some traffic on the bases in the seventh with a double from Julio, a Kelnick walk, and a Suarez and Teo singles to give them a 2-1 lead. Uh, Bryce Miller was pulled for Trevor Gott in the bottom of the seventh with two runners on. Service said post game that the plan was to only allow him to face three hitters no matter what because he was at 85 pitches heading into the seventh. Uh, Trevor Gott would inherit a pair of runners, and unfortunately, they both scored before Justin Topa entered the game to end the inning with the Braves leading 3 2. Uh, they tacked on two more runs in the eighth, and the Mariners' offense went three up, three down in the eighth and the ninth to seal a 6 2 win for the Braves. Yeah, uh, Olsen had a big hit in that inning, did he not? If I remember, and he, it, home, yeah. he either hit a home run or whatever it was, and it was sort of the deciding blow, and it got me thinking. I don't know whether it was mismanaged or whether the fact that Kerb, that uh, Miller rather gave up a couple of those runs and enough batters sort of screwed up the plan. But I was really surprised they didn't have Paul Seawald for Matt Olson. And I was thinking back. Do you remember two years ago when the Mariners really started rolling and Seawald really turned himself into a force? They had a series against this is before the A's were bad, right? When they had Matt Olson and they had Chapman and they had, you know, they, they were a competitive team and the Mariners kind of had to get through them in some really big games. This has got to be what, 2021? 2021. Yeah. And I remember we, we talked about it, how the key to their series win against the A's, and they might have even swept them, was in every game, it was Seawald against Olson. Even though it was a righty-lefty, no big deal. Seawald was the guy they they chose to go after Matt Olson, so it really struck me. Now, maybe you needed Seawald for Acuna, and some things were, were sort of set up a little bit differently, but I don't know. Watching him in that situation, and as much as I like Topa and God, etc., they weren't able to get the job done in that spot against the best. And this is you know another one of those examples of how where you use a reliever matters, right? Taylor Sacedo has been fantastic. He hasn't exactly gotten a lot of high leverage outs. I know we got, uh, uh, what's his name, in Houston. But other than that, we haven't seen a lot of uh, major big-time hitters. He's gotten guys at the bottom of the order, and good for him. That's how you earn the respect in order to get to the high leverage spots. But high leverage in the Mariners' world is not necessarily the eighth inning. High leverage is who's going out to get Acuna, who's going out to get Olsen, Unfortunately, Topa was, uh, he struggled against Acuna, like a lot of people do. And uh, I think it was Gott who got got by Matt Olson, unfortunately. Yeah, Service uh, ended up talking, I think it was Divish who asked him about um, Brash being up and down this year and how they've kind of used him in that pivot role. And yeah, Service said that like one of the most important things in the way they use their bullpen is that like first guy coming in and getting that first out mm-hmm. and that... Kind of, he didn't want to put it all on Brash. They're going to try multiple guys there, but it, he did say that that's something well, they have not been getting. I, you can't trust Brash in that spot right now. Unfortunately, just too many walks. 
And too many hits. I mean, like, you know, you watch Matt Brash. If he had come in in that spot instead, I don't know how much better I feel. And so you're giving God a chance. He's been really good. And so he gets to bump up against some better competition. And guess what? They beat him. They beat him. Right? I mean, like, no other way to say it. They're, they're best beat the guy that you're trying out in that spot. Does it hurt not having Munoz? Yes. But the key to this weekend was Friday. Honestly. The key to this weekend was winning on Friday. You had a 2-1 lead. You battled back. You had an opportunity to win that game on Friday, and your bullpen gave it up. Now, I'm not blaming them. You got to score more than, what was it, two or three runs in that game. But Friday was the linchpin in this weekend. Saturday, you were able to win. Yesterday, sorry, you just weren't. You weren't going to win that game. Friday was the one that you had an opportunity to win. And if you win it, you come home after a winning road trip, and you feel a lot better. Unfortunately, you're below 500 on your trip again. You're seven games out, and this morning feels like crap instead of feeling like you're right there. Yeah, I, I said it in my email to you guys last night. I, I And the, the bullpen is not the main problem for this team, but as they are saying they're trying to kind of try to find the right guy for that pivot role, like you said, guys like Topa and Spire, and they, they filled in well, but it's, it's crazy to think that you're missing Munoz, you're missing Diego Castillo, you're missing Penn Murphy, you're missing Matt. I forgot about Matt Festa until I heard someone mention him. Well, he didn't like, pitch well, so right? So many guys I mean, a lot that of those... were good for you in high leverage situations yep. last year. Sadler's hurt. Yeah. yeah, guys who were either hurt or ineffective and therefore aren't here. It's been great what you've gotten out of the guys you have. They really need Munoz back. Has he started the rehab assignment? I still haven't heard him. I still haven't heard anything about it. We'll no, ask Shannon feeling- today. I'm going to talk to Shannon at 9 o'clock. I haven't heard anything about Munoz pitching yet. Well, we heard Pre-Lander uh, about to. was on the taxi squad. And keep like, oh. keep hearing he's about to pitch. Yeah. Haven't heard that he is pitching. Yeah, hopefully we can get an update from Shannon. Um, all right, Saturday night, Logan Gilbert's outing started off much like Bryce Miller's. A Ronald Acuna Jr. single and a Matt Olson home run gave the Braves a 2-0 lead in the first. And just like Bryce Miller, Gilbert rebounded to pitch five scoreless following that tough start. But unlike Miller's, uh, Gilbert got the run support that he needed for the win. In the top of the fourth, they had four singles. And with the help of a fielding error by the Braves and a sack fly from Caballero, they drove in three runs for a 3-2 lead. It was J.P. Crawford's single that gave the M's the lead. And it also happened to be his 500th career hit. Um, He posted this to Twitter saying... Never thought I'd be in this spot, to be honest. Don't give up on yourself and keep pushing. You can do anything you set your mind to. Pretty cool to see because he's having... It, I mean... It almost feels like because of like the way that they're playing, he's not getting as much credit as he should, but he's been phenomenal. Yeah, it's almost like there's like two different, sto- two different teams right now, <laughs> right? There's the pitching staff, J.P. Crawford, Jose Caballero, and Jared Kelnick. <laughs> and then there's the rest of the Mariners. And it's the like they're just moving the in two completely different directions. Very frustrating. But congrats to JP. I mean, good on him. He's really, you know, turned it around this year after kind of a rough last season. So uh, if he can keep stay healthy and keep this going, and they're going to have to get him off his feet. You're going to have to have some games where Caballero, you know, shifts over and plays some shortstop. Yep. Good on him. It's uh, it's nice to see. All right. In the fifth, a Julio Walk Kelnick single, Teo RBI single, and a Suarez sack fly uh, drove in another two runs. And then in the seventh, a Julio walk. And this from a Eugenio Suarez. And the first pitch from Kirby Yates. Swung on drive to deep center field. Going way back and goodbye. Two-run homer for Gino. And the Mariners have a 7-2 lead. Gino with his fifth home run. RBI's 23-24. and 24. Hey, now. That gave the M's plenty of cushion, making it 7-2, and they would eventually win 7-3. Service said post-game that they were much more 
efficient in situational at-bats than they have been. And uh, he shouted out Julio especially for that night. Really excited about the three walks that Julio Rodriguez took. And I think he's, I think he scored three runs as well. And that's what we need to see out of Julio. The hits will come. <laughs> There's no question about that. But, you know, swing at the right pitches was huge. Huge for him. It'll continue to be huge. So. That Suarez home run, we walked, we had just walked into the cabin in Shoreline when that happened. That mm-hmm. was the only time of the whole weekend that I turned to a TV and saw a good thing happen in the Mariners game. <laughs> Every time I tuned in, something just gave me the, yeah, don't watch this and, one. And unfortunately, and I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news on this one again. It's like, okay, well, maybe they get Suarez going because they need it. Well, next day, 0 for 4. Mm-hmm. Like every time yeah. you think you're about to see a breakout, a okay, yeah, that's great, cool. Next day, 0 for 4. Oh, Julio had a few walks, good. Maybe starting to see the ball better. Next day, 0 for 4. That's, I mean, and that's what DePoto told us the other day. But every time we take a step forward, we take a step back. It's- well, it feels it feels as if every time they take a step forward, they take five back. Yeah. That's how it feels. I know it may not be the case, but gosh, does it feel that way this yeah, morning? Frustrating. All right. Uh, uh, yesterday. Stop me if you've heard this one before, but Ronald Acuna Jr. hit a leadoff single and Matt Olson then doubled to give the Braves a 1-0 lead in the first. One-two punch. Those guys, man. Uh, <laughs> but And this was with Kirby on the mound, but not for long. Jared Kelnick came right back with the solo shot to start the second to tie it up. Kirby allowed another run in the third after a walk and a pair of singles. Um, he didn't have his usual command, but the only other run he gave up was a solo shot um, in the seventh. He went seven innings, giving up six hits, three earned runs, one walk, and striking out six. So for not having his usual stuff, still a really good outing. Uh, Jose Caballero continues to do everything he can to help this team. He had three stolen bases and this blast in the eighth. 3-1 pitch. Swing and a well-hit ball deep to left field. Rosario going back, looking up, and goodbye baseball. Holy smokes. Jose Caballero with his first home run in the big leagues has made it a one-run ball game. Number one for Jose. Rounding third, a high five for Manny Acta. It is now the Braves three and the Mariners two. Jose Caballero, what an afternoon here in Atlanta. As I said, the yesterday is oh, it was awesome. Yeah. And yesterday <laughs> was sort of that like, okay, here's an opportunity. Like the whole Mariner season summed up in one day. In one two-hour and five-minute game. Like, okay, you're right now back into the press. No, you just completely fold after that and just do nothing. And it just felt like that's sort of happened over and over again. Caballero is a great story. And I, and I like what Scott said about him after the game, kind of talking through how the things he does don't always get noticed in the minor leagues and on your way up, but he's just a good ball player. And the fact that it took him a lot longer and a lot more seasoning has taught him the game so that when he gets up here, he was ready to go. There was no fear factor. There was no adjustment period for him. He just got tossed right into the mix and immediately started just being himself. And that means a little brash. That means a little cocky. That means willing to stare back at a pitcher, whatever the case may be, or talk trash to Martin Maldonado. Like, he's done all of those things and feels really good about it. Oh, you want to leave me alone? I'll steal second. You don't want to pay attention? Cool, I'll steal third. I'll swipe a third bag today because I'm going to try to help this team win. I got nothing to lose. And if more guys on the team were playing like that, you'd be in a better spot. He's got some pop. He hits a lot of balls really, really hard. He does seem to hit the ball hard a lot, which is nice. I, I kind of felt bad for him because I feel like if you're going to hit a home run, uh, you don't want to do it when J.P. Crawford was up to bat next. I feel like he's the most fun one and when you go back to the dugout. Celebrate, like, oh, to celebrate. Oh, yes. Yeah. 
His oh. problem is that JP is right after him. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Well, fortunately. If you're going to hit a home run, you want JP to be in the dugout. Yeah, there's a good chance the inning's going to end soon anyway. So JP will be oh, back, right back there. Don't worry about it. Uh, we should give them a shout out for uh, defensively. The M's had a gem in the fifth when Austin Riley grounded out to JP, who then kind of was somewhat bobbling the ball, but managed to flip it to Eugenio Suarez as he was trying to get a hand on it. And uh, he then threw a laser to tie at first for the 6-5-3 out. Here's Austin Riley swinging a ground ball, a short bobbled by JP over to Suarez. Geno's throw to first, and it's going to be in time to get Riley. A 6-5-3 put out, a ground ball into the hole. It's short. JP went to his right and tossed it over to Eugenio Suarez because... AU was coming in the other direction. He would have a better setup and throw. Heads up play by J.P. Crawford. What a play. And that will retire the side. That is some quick thinking by J.P. Crawford. That was pretty smooth. AU, yeah. I thought thought Gino was the abbreviation. We're going with AU today. (laughs) AU Suarez. It doesn't have a ring to it. Not quite the same. When you say it together, at least. Uh, <laughs> I made a top play though. It was a, it was in a sports center top play. Feels good to see once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing on that. All right. Uh, well, I think we pretty well. We just kind of wrapped up. Need to know with the with the golf. Uh, so you don't want to do it anymore? How come? You, you, Tell me more. Tell me else what happened. Yeah, let's go. All right, Brooks Kepka became the first live golfer to win a major as he took the 105th PGA Championship at Oak Hill. It was his fifth major in his third PGA Championship. He finished nine under and two shots ahead of Scotty Scheffler and Victor Hovland. Is that right? Hovland, yes. Okay. Nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you didn't play any of him talking. Do you want to hear any of him? I'll talking? hear a little Victor. Okay. Sure, yeah, I like Victor. No, Kepka. Oh, I know you don't uh, like. I know, I know you don't like him. No, I don't. Yeah, it yeah, it's here. incredible. Uh, I don't know the list of guys, how many guys have won five times, but to not. to be with those groups of names uh, is absolutely incredible. Are, Something but... I've, I've, I'll be honest, I'm not even sure if I dreamed of it as a kid that I was going to win this many, but this is the coolest thing, and uh, I'm just happy to do it in front of these New York fans. I love uh, you guys. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think we've got... We got three majors in New York, so New York's been, uh, I guess, a second home for me. So it's uh, it's pretty special. Okay, so he gets to play good guy now that he won. Quite the tour de force there. I I don't know anything about golf or its history, but I have won five, so I'm sure that group of names is great. It's good to be amongst. So it's good to be amongst these names of people whose names I don't know and don't even know (laughs) what they've accomplished. But you know what? No one's ever gone broke saying how great New York is in New York. So let's just do that. Hey, you know it's great New York. I love New York. Did you see the clip where he walked up to Michael Block and was like, "Hey, I heard you're buying drinks tonight." Uh, I did see that. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty good. Yeah, he had no idea who he was when he passed. Him. <laughs> yeah, he just thought it was some random dude who was buying drinks. Gosh, thanks, Brooks. Appreciate it. Well, at least you counteract that with the complete likability of Michael Block. Yeah. So here's my question about the whole Michael Block story. Guys, uh, not on tour. I mean, he's a PGA teaching pro in California. Mm-hmm. He just finished 15th ahead of 10 different major winners. Mm-hmm. Is that good or bad for golf? Why is that? How could that be bad? A guy who doesn't even play in your league can come in and finish 15. I think it says any guy can have a good day and, or a good week yeah. and finish 15. I mean, not if he the suddenly rest of the guys starts, are bad. like, what, he's allowed to play in another tournament next If he suddenly starts beating everyone, then it's, that might be kind of weird. I just think it's funny, like, can't bring a guy, like, you know, 
out of the stands in baseball and have him yeah. like you know. I just hit feel three bad. Home you runs. can in hockey a go- emergency goalie. That's no. true. I just feel bad <laughs> that, that he's happened. never going to be able to live up to this again. He's going to be a crowd and he knows favorite. It. And he, he knows said it. that. He's like, yeah, it's never going to be this good again. <laughs> yeah. I've hit the pinnacle of my life. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> and you know what he said? He's what forty six years old. Yeah. I understand that. I feel like it'll never be better than yeah. it already was. It's probably about it. The rest of my life truth. is only going to be worse than it's been. This is the peak. Yes, I know it. I've already passed my peak. What Physical a terrible feeling! Yeah, it's an awful, awful well, we feeling. Get to live in it for a little. I'm bit. halfway to ninety. I mean, it, like, there's be no a good lot ahead. better feeling if you just won what? What two hundred thirty thousand dollars? Two eighty eight. Two eighty eight. Yeah. I could know that I've peaked, but I just got a lot richer and be okay with so it. So would you raise rates? You charge hundred and fifty dollars an yeah. hour right now Heck for yeah. golf lessons. No way. Be a man of the people. Justin would keep it Say the same. Say who you are. Justin would lower rates. Don't change who you are. Yeah. That's not fun. Nobody likes that story. It's true. Yeah, they used to get it for one. But what about for new clients? He said he doesn't take new clients. He said he's only, he's only got a few. Oh, then you can't raise rates well, on your old okay. clients. Yeah. yeah. But if you were taking new clients, uh, I'd you could no. raise rates on new clients. Maybe. I would, yeah. Justin. <laughs> the only reason these people are going to want to be clients now is because Inflation. of this anyway. So, so I who guess. cares? Yeah, exactly. Like, stay with um, the people that have been there for the whole time. You don't ditch price. anybody who's been with you, and you keep those rates the same. But anybody who's new, how about 1500 an hour? <laughs> Let's go 10 times. <laughs> okay, I wasn't thinking you got, that. you got to maximize this, man. This oh is a very God. short window you got. All right, before we wrap up Let's here. Let's go live in, in Mission Viejo. You think it's cheap to live in Orange County? No, no not right. at all. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, shout out to UW Women's Softball. They scored seven runs in the seventh inning to defeat McNeese State yesterday and advance to the Super Regionals. Powerhouse. They'll host Louisiana next week. Uh, per ESPNW, since 2000, teams were 5-903 and 903 when trailing by six-plus runs in the NCAA tourney, and none had rallied from six down in the final inning. Pretty darn cool. Pretty darn cool. And shout out to Seattle Thunderbirds. Won the WHL yes. title. I yeah. saw that, yeah. And then uh, it looks like, isn't the uh, Coachella Valley team doing well also? Saw that too. Yeah, so great. Great to see. All right, it's time for a good, great job, Maura, as always. Thank you for a uh, good trip around the weekend. Brock's going to be in next. Uh, the Mariners, as far as I can tell, have two problems, one obvious and one gigantic. Those two are next. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.